We are uh, studying in Romans, the 12th chapter, a series on what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Now, Paul uses the analogy that we, as people of faith, are like many differing members of the body. And while every part of the body doesn't do the same thing, all are important so it can make up the body, so the body can do what it needs to do. And so likewise, we make up individual members of the body of Christ, and the local body is our, as the church. Um, and then he goes on to explain that it's important that, first of all, we allow the different parts of the body to do what they need to do. And we read how he said, you know, if a person's gift is such and such, let him do it, let him do it, let him do it, let him do it. Why? Because it's important that each member, each part, even though it's very different, from everyone else is allowed to do it. And uh, this is even important for, I think, pastors and leaders to uh, be aware of. Because often there's uh, obscure parts of the body we're not aware of, you know, that doing things we have no idea. And it's easy to dismiss different things that we don't think they're important. But we need to be aware that everybody has a role and everybody has a part. And, and our challenge is to encourage you and to give you a place and a, and a way to use the giftings that you have. Uh, why we encourage uh, volunteerism. Now, People say, well, I'm not sure really what my gifts are. Well, get involved somewhere, you know. I mean, at a minimum, you can stand at the door and just smile at people as they come in, you know. I mean, start doing something so you can start seeing what God is doing in your life. Something you need to realize, too, is that a lot of times people want specific direction from God before they move. But uh, a lot of times the direction doesn't come until you start moving. I mean, it's like the rudder on a, on a boat. Um, it doesn't do a lot if the boat's just sitting there. The boat has to be moving first before the rudder kicks in and starts having any kind of effect. Those of you who pilot boats know what, what I'm talking about. If, if you ever see me on a boat, though, I, I would run because <laughs> I'm not very good at it. Ah! I never can steer the stupid things. It's a good thing I can fly planes better than that, or I wouldn't be here this morning. But anyway, so you need to just start getting involved, moving forward, and then seeing what God can do in your life. So again, if you're not sure what part you're supposed to play, at least jump in somewhere. And as you start moving forward, God will start directing you as the rudder of the Holy Spirit kicks in and starts directing your life. Trust me, God will never use you if you just sit there. Somebody say amen. Thank you. All right. So then he starts after talking about uh, letting the parts be parts and doing their thing. Then he starts talking in uh, general terms about things that apply to all the parts of the body so that it can be a healthy body. That's what we've been talking about, how we can be a healthy church at Celebration Church. Um, and uh, again, not only do we have different parts, we have different locations, different campuses around Wisconsin here, still just one church, but talk about an opportunity to let various, various gifts and stuff come into play and everybody playing a part so that we can be one body. So we got as far as verse 12. See, then he encourages everyone to start using whatever gifts they have. And uh, that's when we read, you know, if someone has a gift for this, that, or the other, that we're supposed to let them do what God's called them to do so we can all be an active part. But then he's been talking about what applies to all of us as a church, as an organism, as the body of Christ. And uh, we've been in uh, Romans, the 12th chapter, on verse 12 for a few weeks. 
Uh, we spent one week just on the first part of the verse, be joyful in hope. Then last Sunday, we talked about what it meant to be patient in affliction. And this morning, we want to pick it up with the next phrase where he says, a healthy church is faithful in prayer. What does it mean to be faithful in prayer? Now, as most of you know, um, in addition to pastoring here, uh, I uh, go many different places to speak about family and marriage all over the country and in the world. And, uh, but every once in a while, and usually this is in churches and stuff, but every once in a while, a, a corporation will call me. Uh, I have a little clip that got on YouTube some years ago, and like some three million plus people have seen this thing. And every once in a while, some company will see this thing where I'm talking about men's brains and women's brains and how people can communicate. They find it entertaining and informative. So I get corporations every once in a while who will call me. It's not what I normally do, but they offer me money to come talk for an hour and I go and take their money. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes they're really nice places. A couple of years ago, I was asked to speak for Burger King. Uh, they were having a retreat in Puerto Rico. And uh, they said, would you please come to the island of Puerto Rico? We'll pay for your flight, put you in a five-star hotel and pay you X amount of dollars and you just have to speak for an hour. And I said, let me pray about it. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I do that from time to time. But uh, I'll never forget when I was in Puerto Rico a couple of years ago, one of the other speakers that they had, they had several speakers from around the country speaking to, this, to these people with, the, with, the, with Burger King. One of them was Greg Stubbe. Now, some of you who were at our men's conference last year will remember Greg. Uh, he's a war hero. Uh, he has a, an amazing story of uh, adversity. And you talk about uh, being patient in affliction. You know, here he was un, uh, involved in uh, as far as I know to this date, the, the longest firefight that's occurred in the war in, on terror. These guys got involved in a firefight that lasted six days nonstop. And uh, you can imagine, you know, it's not like you take a nap for a while. I mean, this just kept going and going and going. And uh, so we are, I, I walk in and he's already talking and sharing this incredible story. How at one point toward the end of the firefight, he finally gets hit and how he's with one arm pulling himself uh, into safety as they're shooting at him, and in the other hand, uh, holding his intestines with his hand. I mean, it was like Hochi Mama, you know, it was like a real heavy story. Now this guy, under incredible duress, uh, pressed through and, and, uh, and how he made it. And, uh, and then he talked about all the surgeries that he had later, and he had some pretty gross pictures, if you guys remember, but, uh, you know, big chunks of his body, big holes and stuff. He said, you know, he said, I got to tell you, I don't look very good naked, man. He's like, I got holes everywhere. And, and uh, so anyway, he's telling this moving story of how uh, men like this are willing to do whatever it takes because they believe in what they're doing and the importance of fighting for what you believe in. And when he finished this place of, Adult men and women all stood up, tears streaming down their faces and clapping and cheering for this guy. And I'm thinking, oh, this is awful because I got to talk after this guy, all right? You know, I'm supposed to be Mr. Ha, 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 you know, after this. And I don't think, oh, what moron came up with this plan? So he's up there, everybody's crying, stuff like that. And finally, they sit down and the... the uh, MC gets up, he says, that was, that was amazing. He says, okay. okay, moving on to our next speaker. Please welcome Mark Gunger. And I thought, oh, man. So I get out there, and I, I walk out. I said, I said, seriously, I said, it's hard to follow a guy like this. I mean, we're talking two different worlds. I said, the, apparently the only thing I have in common with him is apparently neither one of us looks very good naked. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and they started laughing, and then I had them, you know, and then, I, then, then we moved on to other things. So, uh, so then uh, afterwards, I got a chance to meet him. That's how I invited him to Green Bay here last year, but I was talking to him about this incredible firefight uh, that he was in, and uh, he, was saying it was, he said it was surreal. He said it was like a, a life-and-death video game. He said, uh, um, he said, we stumbled into these guys. He said, we knew they were there. Uh, but their modus operandi, because there was only like 12 of their guys in their little group or whatever doing recon. He says, and usually if we would engage with the enemy, they'd fight for a little bit, but then everybody just pull back and take off, even though there are going to be a whole bunch of them. So it's like we didn't know they w- weren't there. But we didn't know how many of them were there, but we just figured if we did engage, they would pull back. Well, they definitely engaged, but he said, to our amazement, they wouldn't pull back. And they kept fighting, and there were thousands of them against this small group of guys. And they're fighting for six days, day and night, nonstop. He said it was like a, a, a surreal video game. He said, I'm on top of, of, of the, uh, uh, you know, truck or whatever like with a with machine gun and shooting and he said they would pop up out of the sand just you didn't even know they were there they had all these secret little tunnels and stuff and you're fighting all of a sudden the thing would just pop up and like a hundred guys would come running out of you. you're taking them and then pop up another one he says it was unbelievable they killed a lot of these guys but this fight went on for a really really long time and I and I said well how did you do this how does just a small group of guys take on thousands of enemy for this long of a period and he says he says well he says we had air support and I went, oh see because whenever uh, a wave of them would come because what happened he says the reason they stayed and fought is because we came across a major installation of theirs with all these tunnels that had all this intel and stuff like that so they stayed to fight the whole time uh, but uh, he said um, you know if, if it got real heavy in one era they would call in an airstrike you know, they would come in with the machine guns, blah, 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 clear out an area. They popped up somewhere else. They'd call in support. They'd drop some bombs over here. Uh, he said, we ran out of ammunition several times. I think it was like seven times or something like that. You can imagine nonstop fighting. And they would start get running low on, inf- on ammo, and they would call in ammo. And, of course, then these airs would come in, and they'd drop it in a certain spot. And then under fire, they had to go get the ammo because the enemy knew that you were what the ammo was for. So they're, I mean, just an amazing story of how these guys kept fighting and fighting and fighting under incredible odds. But the reason they were able to do it is because of this incredible, sophisticated system of air support that they had going. They said they had layers of planes and fighters uh, over them at any given moment that they would call in at any time. And I was thinking about it and I thought, wow. If this is not a picture of what prayer is, what prayer is really all about, one of the reasons why people are not faithful in prayer or they don't pray, take prayer more seriously is for two reasons. One is they either think God's not going to listen to them and God doesn't really care, or two, they just assume God is so sovereign. You know, God's just going to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, so it doesn't really matter what we do or do not say. But nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is God has called all of us to be his representatives in the earth. And at times we are fighting against overwhelming odds. But the way we win is with air support, calling in specific 
things that God can do in our lives and in the people around us. And the point is, is we are the ones who call it in. Again, people get this idea that God will just do whatever he's going to do. But a lot of times, no, no, no. God made a choice a long time ago that the way he's going to affect the world is through people of faith. Okay? Not because, uh, for, for any other reason than the fact that he's lifted us up to a place of real importance in the kingdom of God, which a lot of people don't understand. You know, one of the reasons God decides to use people is because it's like the ultimate humiliation to the devil. Now, check this out. What? Uh, one woohoo. Yeah, okay. So, so <laughs> somebody's happy over there. Uh, so, uh, check it out. So, what happens is, as you read the Bible, you, you get a picture of eternity. What happens is God is in heaven, angels, everything is great, okay? Then one angel really gets full of himself. His name was Lucifer. Okay, and apparently he was quite the stud muffin. All right, he was good looking. And he fell, the Bible says, literally fell in love because he was such a beautiful angel. And everybody's like, woo, check this guy out. And he got so full of himself, he decided, you know, I can do this. I can run all of this. I can be God. So he went out and he convinced a third of the angels to rebel against God. Now you gotta stop and think, what an incredible feat that is. It's one thing for Satan to dupe us. We don't know Jack, okay? We're here. We don't know nothing. We're just a bunch of people walking around making mistakes all the time. But you can imagine, here are angels in heaven with almighty God. Experience stuff you and I can't even begin to dream of. And he gets a third of them to turn against God. What did he say to them? Did you ever think of that? Now, the Bible doesn't say what he says. We know what his motivation was. I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I'm beautiful, I can do this. But you got to kind of wonder if he didn't get people to question whether or not God really loves them. You know, because he's kind of the same thoughts he sticks in people's heads today, see. God doesn't really care about you. God doesn't really care about you. Somehow, anyway, he pulls this thing out. So they have this big rebellion. Jesus talked about it. This is in the Bible. It's one of the major events in eternity. There was this huge clash as a third of heaven rises against God. Well, so the clash goes, and uh, as far as we can tell, it was a pretty short clash. I think they very much underestimated the power of God. I think God pretty much flicked them all like a booger, and away they went. And uh, the booger lands on earth, okay, onto this rock. Now, this was not a beautiful place at the time. Just as a water-covered planet, total confusion, just this dark thing. Now, something you have to understand People often think, you know, Satan is in hell with his minions. And no, 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 Satan's not in hell. Okay, I would he were in hell, then he couldn't get to us. He's not in hell. He's going to hell. There's a judgment day coming when final judgment will be pronounced. And he and his angels will finally go to hell. But in the meanwhile, they're still loose, but trapped on this rock with us. Now, God all of a sudden... After this big battle, I'm sure everybody's wondering, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Because he knows judgment's coming. And all of a sudden, God stops, and he starts dinking around on the planet. And he turns on the lights, ching, ching, the sun, the moon, and, uh, and, uh, and pushes back the water, and ground starts coming out, and he starts creating life everywhere. and creates this incredible planet that we're on, this shining blue ball in the middle of nothing life everywhere 
And then finally on the final day, after speaking all these things into existence, the Bible says he got down and unlike everything else, now he takes his hand and from the dust of the earth, he creates a man. And he breathes the breath of life into this man. And then from him makes the woman, creates people. And as you read the book of Genesis, what it says is that God would come and hang with them during the day. The cool of the day, they'd walk with God. Now, I'm sure Adam and Eve had no idea what was going on, how incredible this is, but they just kind of wake up and here's God and they'd walk for a while and they'd talk and stuff. I mean, how cool is this? Now, you've got to understand, who's watching this this whole time? Satan. And he is mad as a hornet. He is so insulted. Now, after being humiliated, this God is putting all of his affection and doting over human beings, this man and this woman, and they're thinking, what is this? What's going on? Why all the attention on this? This is a nothing. This is a no He can't even fly. <laughs> He's got a walker. He gets tired, and he has to take a nap. He gets hungry. You have to understand, to eternal beings, this is a very limited bunch of people here. You know, they're just normal people. Ooh, ooh, what's, ooh, he poops. Oh, my goodness gracious, you know, what is this? It's a pooping thing, you know. So he hates people and we look like God because God made them made us in God's image so he looks at these little things look like and he's filled with hatred and despite so he sets out to mess them up now it's interesting that he didn't come to him personally to try and deceive Adam and Eve in fact there's only one record in the Bible where Satan ever appeared to anybody remember who that was Jesus he came to Jesus when Jesus was fasting for 40 days and Satan because remember Satan's extremely egotistical He's not about to lower himself to get around just anybody. Here's the son of God. Now I'll show up for that. You know, but the rest of the time, so he didn't even go himself. He, he finds a, a serpent, speaks through the serpent to deceive Adam and Eve. And of course they fall, but immediately God rushes in and covers them and starts to protect them and promises them. If you will trust me, I will redeem you and speaks of a Messiah that would come to take away the sins of the world and said if you will honor me and serve me I will bless you but if you don't you will be a mess and from then on then mankind takes off and for the most part it's been an abysmal mess and you have to understand Satan hates people now if, if you have any doubt of how much Satan hates people look at regimes throughout history or people that we would consider inspired of the devil the Hitlers of the world the Mussolini's, the Stalin's, the Paul Potts. Look what they do to people. I don't know if you ever watched some of these documentaries and stuff, but it is so difficult to get your head around. The hatred. And this, this is Satan's view of people. Concentration camps, mass murders. Every once in a while you hear about somebody who just goes completely nuts and goes on some killing spree and tortures and maims people. We refer to them as being inspired of the devil or even possessed of the devil. What happens when you see this? The violence and the hatred. This is what Satan thinks of you and me. He hates you with a passion you can't even begin to understand. And when he brings disasters in the world, you have to understand, when there's horrible things that happen in the world and all kinds of terrible things happen to people, 
you often hear people say, why would God allow that? Why would God do that? Hello, it wasn't God, you Nimrod. That is Satan. Remember, we're on this rock. God is moving here. Satan is still here. He's still not in hell. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly, but Satan has come to rob, to kill, and to destroy. So anyway, God comes in the form of human flesh, born in a barn. Now you have got to figure this has messed, this messed with Satan's head big time. First of all, why would any God want to be like one of these things? They're so limited. Why would, any, why would God do this? Yet God does it. And Jesus has this incredible ministry and he's doing miracles and preaching the good news of God's love and Satan's violence and rage goes out of control and he inspires all part of God's plan though to have Jesus killed and crucified. We're about to go into the Easter time where we're going to be talking about this. He inspires them to take Jesus and to crucify him. The Bible says Satan thought this was great. He thought it was a victory. This was awesome. We finally killed him. He laughed. He laughed about it. They celebrated. But he had no idea that three days later, Jesus was going to pop out of that grave. In fact, the Bible says if he had known what was going to happen, he'd have never done it. Isn't that amazing? But he didn't know what was going on. So all of a sudden, Jesus comes popping out of the grave with the keys to hell and death, complete final humiliation to Satan. And now the gospel is going to be spread throughout the world. God is now bringing a new age, the age of the gospel. For the last 2,000 years, this incredible message that has changed the lives of so many people in the midst of a world still struggling with evil. God redeems us by his grace. And the amazing thing is, I'm sure Satan thought, oh, no, now what's going to happen? Jesus, he's come from the dead, and now all this is going to be going on. Surely he's going to be sending some great angels, and they're going to tell the world, or there's going to be great signs in the sky that's going to tell what's going to happen. And then to his horror and humiliation, he finds out how God's going to do it. He's going to use people. The very objects of his hate and scorn and despite. God says, no, I'm not going to send angels to do this. We're not going to zap things in the sky. I'm going to use these people. These people that you hate, yet I love. You push them down. I will lift them up. And I'm going to use them and touch them to change the world in which they live. And every time God uses you, it's such a humiliation to the world of evil. It, it's like, it would be like in World War II when a German soldier had to surrender to like a black soldier or to a Jewish soldier. Remember, they hated them. They thought they were a little more than animals. They despised them. They were the superior race, and yet they had to surrender to these people. Huge humiliation. It's like that when you start realizing who you are in the kingdom of God. Now, here's the deal. If the last thing in the world evil wants, Satan wants, is for you to realize who you are as a person of faith. He wants you to continue to think you're a nobody. You're a nothing. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're insignificant. You don't matter. 
Nothing you say will change anything because the more he does that, the more impotent you will become in terms of your spiritual life. And instead of calling in fire strikes from heaven and God to move into people's lives, you'll sit passively and do little to nothing. The reason why we don't get on the horn and call in strikes from heaven into the lives of the people around us is most of us don't think much will happen. We think, well, God will do it on his own. No, 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 no. God is waiting to use you. And in fact, God, if, if people refuse to ask God to move, do you know God won't move? He won't do it. He won't, this is on us. We have got to be the recon people going out. If we will call in the air support and the strikes, God will move in ways that will absolutely blow your mind. And it's great fun. The people who get this, the ones of you smiling at me going, are the people who know what I'm talking about. You pray, God answers your prayer. Just when things seem they can't go any other way but down, suddenly they go up. Suddenly when things seem like it's not going to go this way, they start to go this way. Why? Because you pray. You learn what it means to pray. And you're faithful in prayer. And you're motivated by prayer because you see when you pray, stuff happens. The pro Yeah. Again, the reason we don't pray is we don't say, oh, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. No, 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 no. You've got layers of firepower flying around your head. But if these guys in Afghanistan thought, ah, they don't care about us. We're just out here. I'm, I'm from Ohio. Ain't nothing going to happen for me. <laughs> They'd all gotten killed. If they just say, oh, it's just too overwhelming. There's thousands of us. There's only 12, I mean, there's only 12 of us. There's thousands of them. We're doomed. We'll never make it. I just forget it. They'd all been killed. Amazingly, after that entire battle, I believe, only one of them died. They'd all gotten shot, by the way, every one of them. It's an amazing story. But they prevailed against overwhelming odds because they skillfully called in the air support. And you have to understand, they were the ones directing what would happen when because they were on the ground and they saw it. What if, what if God is just waiting for you to become aware enough of the world around you that you start inviting God's hand to start moving in people's lives? Sadly, a lot of people, when you start explaining about prayer, they think it's just a version of the lottery. as a way if I can get stuff, you know? You mean pray and God will answer my prayer? Cool. God, I want a Cadillac and I want it with leather seats, okay? And, and I want a bigger house and could you get me a different wife? And God, could you do this, you know? And I mean, it's crazy. And of course, God doesn't answer those prayers because he's not going to just bless your selfishness. So people are like, oh, God doesn't answer prayer. Yeah, that's not what prayer is for. It's for directing the hand of God. What if in the midst of your life and all the stuff that's going around you, and you think, well, where is God? What if God is waiting for you to start pointing God's fingers in hand and bringing in the support to move in different lives? I argue that's exactly what's happened. That's what is happening. And for some of you, little to nothing works around you because you don't pray. The only time you pray is when you eat a hamburger. Thanks, God. Amen. You know, that's, that's about it. But when you start to understand where you are, who you are, you're not a nothing. You're not a nobody. You are a somebody. 
Because when Jesus Christ died on that cross and redeemed people, and for those people who would put their faith in him, the Bible says we become joint heirs with Christ. We are lifted to a place that Paul wrote in Ephesians, Ephesians says, you guys just don't get this. I know a lot of people think in heaven, you know, there's, you know, people, and then there's angels and bigger angels and holier angels, and, and then eventually God. You don't understand. We are going to be higher than the angels in heaven, the Bible teaches. You say, how can that be? I'm a nobody. I'll tell you how. Because the blood of Jesus bought you and redeemed you. You are not a nobody. You are not a nothing. You are a son. You are a daughter of almighty God. And we need to start acting like it. And the ultimate kicker is that we will be there on judgment day. And do you know who the Bible says will be the ones who will judge these angels who fell? People. We do it. You think God's going to judge the angels? No. No, God's going to say, you know these people you couldn't stand? These people you hated? These people who you despised? I'm going to leave it up to them. They're going to do it. You and I if by God's grace we get there, <laughs> we'll be the ones who will actually proclaim judgment on these beings who with incredible experience despised their blessings and instead criticized Almighty God. Wow. You get that picture in your head. You start realizing who you are. It will motivate you to be faithful in prayer. I'm going to invite the ushers to come at our various campuses and the musicians to come and as we get ready to take our time of communion this morning. Now check it out. As I said earlier, I was simply guessing, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say what argument Satan used to convince angels to rebel against God. My theory is, is he got them to doubt whether or not God really loved. You say, why would you say that? Because it's the same thought that sticks in people's heads today. Satan's not terribly original. He finds one thing and he runs with it. But stop and think about this. Here God puts all this attention on people in the midst of this big pause in heaven. You have to realize, we're just in the half time. We are waiting just before the judgment. They're all waiting for the final judgment to kick in. And instead of doing it, God starts playing around on earth and moving in the lives of people. And what God is demonstrating in front of a, a universe that he was accused of not really loving his creation. He's demonstrating to the entire universe, yes, I do love. In fact, I'll show you how far I'm willing to go to love. And he became a man like us, suffered on that cross. God desperately wants to bless your life to redeem your life. Because every time God shows up and shows his blessings in your life, all of heaven is watching. And if ever in eternity another creature rises up and says, I don't think God really loves, God will point to you and say, yes, I do. See, look at this guy. Look at this woman. 
Look at this girl. Look at this one. Despite all her failures, all her mistakes. Look at her. Look at this guy. Despite the wrong he did in his life, the mistakes that he made. Look at my love in them. We will be forever eternal testaments to the love of God. And never, ever, ever again will any creature be able to say, God doesn't love. That's the power that God wants to do in your life. And why he died on that cross. We're about to take communion. We're going to focus now on the body and the blood of Christ shed for us. I'm going to invite all of you to bow your heads in a word of prayer. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really experienced what I'm talking about. You've heard about God. Maybe you've even gone to church, but you've never really experienced God in your life. Because people, if you don't experience this wonderful grace I'm talking about, you won't be part of this glorious group that will be eternal testaments to God. You'll get caught up in the group that'll be cast into destruction with Satan and his angels. If you'll put your trust in Jesus and accept his forgiveness in your life, his redeeming grace into your life, you can know this wonderful grace we're talking about this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer and ask all of you to pray this with me. If you'll believe this from the bottom of your heart, you can start to experience God's grace in your life today. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you loved me so much you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender myself to you. Amen.